So we are, we wrapped up first and second Peter last fall. We, we came out of our Christmas series looking at the cast of Christmas. So where do we go now? Uh, as you know, I've, I've said this before, preaching is not about what I just feel like talking about. This is, Lord, what's next for our church? And so I've been praying about this, chewing on it, asked the elders to pray, asked my wife to pray, talked to the staff about it, been praying about it. And uh, I arrived at a conviction feeling led to what I think is one of the most underappreciated books of the Bible. Um, so your friend comes to you, they're a new Christian, they're not a Christian, and they're like, hey, I want to better understand Christianity. You say you're a Christian. I want to understand what that means, what that's about. I want to understand this idea of sin. You talk about sin. What, what is sin? Where does sin start? What are the consequences of sin? How do I deal with sin? I've heard this word repentance thrown around. What, what is repentance? What are the results of repentance? A Messiah, a Savior? What is that like? Talk to me about this idea of, of a Messiah, eternity, what judgment. I mean, and then... I just need to understand God. And now you talk about, okay, I'm saved, but I'm part of a church. What? Help me understand, what book of the Bible should I read? You're probably sitting there thinking, uh, well, like seven. But if you are thinking of one book, my guess is some of you are thinking, and I know some of you know where we're going, so it's kind of spoiled, but pretend like you don't. Some of you are probably thinking maybe Romans. Romans does a pretty comprehensive job of really laying out the whole theology. Maybe John. John is a go-to kind of right off the start. Maybe Galatians. It doesn't so much get into some of these topics, but, Gal but we go to the New Testament. We go to one of the epistles. I really doubt the first thought on our minds is, oh, go read Psalms. What? Go read Psalms? No, Psalms are just a bunch of little standalone, you know, you grab a verse and you put it at the top of a devotional page. Like, that's what Psalms are used for. No, guys, Psalms is one of the most theologically comprehensive books of the Bible. It is, it's really a treasure. And absolutely, yes, it is standalone. I love pulling. This morning, we started our, serf, our service with Psalm 19, a few verses from that. We read Psalm in between the songs. It's a wonderful source of those snippets to use because there's so much packed into one or two lines. But I really don't think we spend a lot of time studying the Psalms. And I think for a decent reason, because it's not an easy book to study. I give you the book of Joshua, that's straightforward. You start on page one, you read till the end, the story progresses. Here's Ephesians, it's a letter, every thought builds on the thought before it. All right, cool, I can do that. I can start at the, at the start and finish at the end. Psalms, Psalms is a bunch of poems and songs. And it's Old Testament, he, like, aren't poems supposed to rhyme? I don't get this book. So we're going to look at Psalms. We're going to start a series on Psalms. I am very excited for this. It, it is such a rich part of the tapestry of Scripture, and I'm really excited to see what God does through this book. But before we be, begin, please join me in prayer. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the different elements of your word. Thank you that there are books that are chronological, historical. Thank you that there are letters and thank you that there are books that we have to work a little bit at. That it reminds us that we can't approach this and just want easy. So thank you for the opportunity to learn and to grow and to stretch our minds. That this is a mirror reflection of you. 
who is perfectly omniscient. Thank you for the privilege of opening your word. Every time we do so, may it be with a heart that desires to praise you and to give you glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So most of the Bible is God very explicitly speaking to his people. You look at the Old Testament, most of the Old Testament is God speaking to his people or giving his scribes accounts to write down for future generations of his people. You get to the New Testament and you've got a bunch of letters written about, hey, this is what God has done. This is what you need to know about being the church, about salvation, about these things. But the Psalms are very fascinating because they are very much God's people speaking to him. Still under the influence of the Holy Spirit, all Scripture is God-breathed. The Word of God. This is, this is influenced by the Holy Spirit. This is inspired by God. But this is God's people speaking to Him and communicating their hearts to Him. I reference that it falls under the category of biblical poetry, which it does if you look at the books Job to Song of Solomon. Some people include Lamentations. But really, Job to Song, and Song of Solomon are, are biblical poetry books. So it's a little bit different. It's not as easy to approach. And the primary reason for that is you're looking at God's people speaking to him through this form of poetry, through song. It's different from what we're used to because Old Testament poetry, Hebrew poetry, was not written with rhyme. It doesn't have couplets or things like that. It doesn't have meter. Hebrew poetry uses something called parallelism. And so the primary question and this, this first sermon in the series might be a little bit different. Elements of each of the subsequent messages might be a little bit different because there will be some just straight up, hey, let's look and learn and grow in our understanding of how to read. So that as you're reading on your own and you come to Psalms, you've got that foundation to study it for yourself and to engage for yourself. So one of the first things we need to understand and know about Psalms is that it's written with parallelism. And the question to ask when reading any Old Testament poetry is, how do these two lines relate to one another? Do you ever wonder why most of the Bible it's just written in columns and it fills up kind of the whole space and then you get to some of these books and it's like three words, new line, six words, new line? That seems like a way, no, that's intentional. So you ask the question, how do these two lines relate to one another? Psalm 118.1, here's a great example. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. The two lines relate to one another, where the second line enhances and strengthens the first line by providing specific detail that gives the reasoning for the first part. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Okay, well, how, how do we know he's good? What is an example of his goodness? For his steadfast love endures forever. The two lines relate to one another to emphasize the lesson and to teach us deeper. So as we consider this, and we'll make these notes available online. Don't worry about writing everything down. Take pictures if that's your style, but we'll make the notes available online. There's three main types of parallelism that you'll see when we come to Psalms. First, they're synonymous. And this is the second line reiterates the first line's idea. Psalm 118.1 that we just looked at would fall under a broad category of synonymous parallelism, where line one states an idea, line two backs it up. Line two supports it. Line two reinforces it. Line two ties right into it, and they work synonymously. 
Psalm 24.1 is a great example of this. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. So line one, the earth is the Lord's and all of it. Line two, specifically the world and those who dwell therein. The two ideas work synonymously. Then you have antithetic parallelism. And this is where the second line contrasts the first line to give you the lesson, to teach the point, to get the idea across. A hint, look for but. Look for a contrasting word. Psalm 1, 1 through 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. You know how the thought is incomplete without both halves? Blessed is the person who does not do this, but... Are you going to finish the thought? And if I just give you, but instead does this, you're like, well, what, what came before? What came before the but? How do I know what this is? And so you have antithetic parallelism where the two ideas contrast one another to get the lesson across. You'll see this in plenty of the Psalms. And then you also have synthetic parallelism. And this is not synthetic, like, you know, if you're thinking natural versus synthetic. This is not that type of synthetic. This is the synthesis of an idea. And so this is the second line completes the idea introduced in the first line. So you cannot fully understand the first line without the completion of the thought in the second line. Psalm 42.1, as a deer pants for flowing streams, done. Uh, what? No. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. You need the second half to complete the first half. Now you get the idea. So those are the three main types of parallelism that we see in the Psalms. This is going to be new for a lot of us. This is a new way to study a book that we probably, I mean, honestly, when we get boxes mailed to us about Bible studies, we've got up in the church office, seven different Bible studies on every single New Testament letter. We've got four or five Bible studies on most of the Old Testament. I don't remember opening that box of samples and seeing a Bible study on Psalms. So this is going to be new for us. I, I get that for a lot of us. We're like, what, what, synonymous, antithetic, synthetic. It's okay. We're going to work through it. We're going to understand it. We're laying the foundation this week. And part of laying the foundation, has anybody ever said to themselves, oh, let's do an example. Break me off a piece of that. How many of you ate a Kit Kat bar this morning for breakfast? <laughs> One, Scott. That's my kind of breakfast. I'm going to go ahead and say none of you were thinking about Kit Kat bars 30 seconds ago. Anybody ever heard a song come on the radio and you can sing along to it and you find yourself saying, man, I haven't heard that song in 20 years. I can't believe I still know those words. All right, so clearly our brains are doing something. What if we took that same idea and applied it to the Psalms? So if you go to our website, under the sermons tab, there's now a new drop-down menu that says music. And if you click on that music button, we created a song list, 40 songs, three hours, that are just straight Psalms. There are multiple, yeah, people are like, wait a minute, you can do that? Like, yeah, they were written as poetry and as songs. 
And there are multiple groups, poor Bishop Hooper, Shane and Shane, the corner room. There are multiple groups that do a great job of taking the Psalms and setting them to music where they're not messing with the lyrics. They're not adding in their own thoughts. They're saying, what does this Psalm say? Cool, let's put it to music. So we created a playlist on our website. It's on Spotify. And you can just listen to the Psalms and increase your exposure. If you're someone who likes this sort of thing, great. I'm not going to call you in two weeks and be like, hey, what's the third song on the playlist? But this is for, I want to increase my exposure. I want to increase my familiarity. I mean, what if when you're at work, the song that's stuck in your mind is really Psalm 90? And that's what's running through the back of your head as you're going about your day. That'd be pretty cool. So let's increase our exposure. Let's increase our familiarity. And again, we'll make sure that everybody's got this information. And then finally, and this is going to be on a sheet of paper. We specifically didn't want to give this ahead of time because we didn't want people distracted from the message and looking at all the information. But on your way out, make sure you grab a half sheet. It's designed to fit right inside the pages of your Bible. And this is going to be a comprehensive overview. We're going to go through each of these letters. We're going to go through some other Psalms. But when you look at the Psalms, you can identify, and depending on who you talk to, different professors, different schools will give broader categories. But you can group the Psalms into six basic categories. And if you use the phrase, the Psalms help me know God's infinite love. You've got hymns, you've got messianic Psalms, you've got Psalms of knowledge, you have Psalms of gratitude, you have imprecatory Psalms, and you have Psalms of lament. Six basic categories, one phrase, one sheet, put it in your Bible, Six months from now, two years from now, you're reading through the Psalms and you're like, wait a minute, I know Sam at one point talked about this. Oh, hey, I've got that sheet. Oh, that's right, gratitude psalm. This is how to identify it. This is what to look for. Oh, lament psalms, that's what that means. So we wanted to make you aware of that. We'll have it for you on the way out. But this is, this is the broad picture of what the Psalms are. It's so much more than just, let me pull a bite out here or there. This is really a rich source to dive into and to study and to know. And this morning we're gonna begin with what is probably the most obvious type of Psalm, a Psalm of Him. You may also see it depending on your source, depending on who you're reading, what you're looking at. Some people refer to this as liturgy Psalms. And what that just means are psalms that are specifically about declaring praise and worship. So these are songs of praise. These are reasons of praise, part of a church service, part of a worship service, that idea of liturgy, if you're familiar with that. This is probably the psalm that we tend to think of very readily. Maybe a psalm of lament, but psalms of hymns, psalms of praise— one of the most common, popular types of psalms. So one of the ways you can look, okay, how do I identify a psalm of hymn? How do I identify a liturgy psalm? There's three, and again, these are, these are broad characteristics. You might get to a psalm and you're like, wait a minute, does that, which category does that fit into? I could kind of make a case for both. Like, yeah, you can. It's not, God didn't give us psalms with, you know, them in different colors. This is, this is us trying to wrap our minds around it and realizing we can see patterns. So you might get to a psalm that is a psalm of hymn. It is a psalm of praise. And you might say, well, there's really kind of four elements. Yeah, maybe. 
But this is a broad breakdown of a psalm of him to help you recognize you're reading through, you get the, you know, a psalm and you're like, what is this? Oh, hey, I see a summons to praise. Step one, a summons to praise. I will praise. Let us praise. Let everyone praise. If you see a writer of the psalm say, hey, let's do some praising, probably a psalm of him. Well, why? Why are we praising God? Because for, look for that word that introduces the reason to praise. Everybody, let's stand up and praise God because he is good. Oh, okay. Step one, step two. And then frequently, hymn psalms, they have a recap. That's often as simple as, so let us praise him. Look towards the end of the psalm, and if you see a re-emphasis of, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, so I lift my voice in praise of the Lord, it's a recap of the idea of, let's praise God. There was a famous speechwriter for several U.S. presidents, and the way he said to give a speech was, tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, then tell them what you told them. That's a psalm of him. Hey, everyone, let's praise God because this. So let's praise him. Very simple structure, very easy to identify. You remember the sermon on Mary when we did the cast of Christmas and we looked at Mary and we said, what, what are some of the primary lessons we take away from Mary? And what we took away is there is always reason to praise God. Always, always a reason to praise God. And when we look at the psalms of hymns, when we look at these psalms of liturgy and praise, we see that lesson even, firmly, even more firmly cemented. So maybe we're sitting here today and we're thinking, I don't have a lot of reasons to praise God. I'm in a pretty dry season. I'm in a pretty tough spell. Health's not going well. Finances aren't going well. Relationships aren't going well. I'm struggling to think of a reason to praise God right now. Last couple of years have been rough. What do I do? Well, let's study Psalms. Because when we study the Psalms of hymns, we see perpetual reasons to praise God. So maybe one of these will resonate with you today. Maybe one of these will flick that switch in your brain where you're like, yeah, you know what? Those things, those are going tough. But that is true. That is true about God, and I will praise him for that. That is what I will focus on. One of the types of hymns that you'll see as you read through Psalms, you'll see creator hymns. And these are Psalms that praise God as sovereign creator. Another way to put it would be, these are Psalms, these are hymns that praise God for who he is. We know that God is unchanging. So whatever circumstances in our lives are difficult or trying or painful or stressful or unenjoyable, we know that God has not changed in those circumstances. We know that I always have a reason to pray God, praise God because he is sovereign creator. He is unchanging. Psalm 8 is a great example of a creator hymn. Listen to Psalm 8, 1 through 4. And I took out my handy Psalm bookmark. So give me a second. Psalm 8, 1 through 4. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. 
You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? And he goes on and he finishes with, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You see that language of who God is, his sovereignty, his worksmanship. Psalm 8, great example of a creator hymn. Then you have uh, a broad category of Israel hymns. And this is really praising God for his relationship to his people. This is praising God for his protection of his people. Consider Psalm 68. Sing to God, sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exult before him. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. Israel hymns are all about praising God for how he loves and cares for and provides for and protects his people. Well, I don't feel very protected. I'm not making light of anything, but we all woke up this morning. God protected us through the night. We got here today. God protected us as we came. I mean, every time we eat without choking, every time we go swimming in the ocean without drowning, I mean, really think about, if you really think about all the things that take life away on this planet that we do, that God has carried us through. So yeah, I absolutely believe God protects me every single day of my life. He protects my wife. He protects my daughter. If I sit down, he protects my family. I'm genuinely happy when I see you all. Guys, we have tons of reason to lift up Israel's psalms today. Then you have history psalms. History, name's pretty obvious. What has God done over history? What has God done throughout time? These are psalms, these are hymns that praise God for his work throughout time. Consider Psalm 78. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He has established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them and children yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in a God and not for, or in God, they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. History hymns. What has God done looking back? There's always reason to praise God. Sit down one time. You got a Saturday where it's terrible weather. What's funny to me is we talk about, you know, oh, I, I can't wait for a Saturday of bad weather so that I can stay in and just kind of rest. And then you're always like, hey, what'd you do with that Saturday of bad weather? Oh, no, I just watched TV. All right, next time you got a terrible weather, sit down with your family and write out what is everything that has happened in our life to be grateful for. I did this exercise with a group of leadership one time. Uh, another, like other pastors, 
We were being taken through an exercise, and the guy leading it was like, no, I'm like specific. Like, was there a vacation you enjoyed? Write it down. Was there a meal you enjoyed? Write it. Like, how many things, the, the point of the exercise was, how many things can you think of from before today that you have enjoyed and are grateful for? So sit down. Write down every family trip you've gone on, even if it's as simple as, we went to Coney Island and had a blast. All right, write it down. That's your history. There's always a reason to sing a psalm of history hymn to God. You also have enthronement, and the next two are very closely related, enthronement hymns and royal hymns. Again, some people, if you're reading some sources, some teachers, different universities, they'll clump these two together, enthronement and royal hymns. But enthronement hymns are specifically praising the ways God is king. So look for, look for language of kingship, look for language of authority. And then royal hymns are praising God's sovereignty over earthly leadership. So look for languages of the king rejoices or our leaders rejoice. And under royal, uh, royal hymns, you'll see some examples where it's also like a prayer for the leaders, but that they would come under God's sovereign kingship. So when you see language of authority and ruling, ask yourself, is this an enthronement hymn? Well, is it specifically about the ways God is king? Or is this more about God's sovereignty over leadership, of placing leadership over his people? Oh, then maybe it's more of a royal hymn. We've got examples. One that we read earlier, which I love that because we did not plan that. Psalm 145, 1 to 3. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. I, every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. So we are praising God as king because he is great in his kingship. Then you have a royal hymn in Psalm 21. O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices, and in your salvation how greatly he exalts. So the psalmist is saying, I recognize that you have established earthly leadership, but I also equally recognize and acknowledge that my earthly leadership means nothing without your heavenly leadership. The king rejoices in your strength, God. In you, he exalts and delights. You have royal hymns. And then finally, you have hymns of Zion. And these are just hymns. Look for language of dwelling. Look for language of temple. Look for language of presence. Zion hymns are all about God's dwelling with his people. You can also see Zion hymns looking forward to the future of God's eternal dwelling with his people. Psalm 65 is a great example of this. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion. That's an obvious symbol or signal. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. So you see this language, this idea of tabernacling, God with his people. These are hymns of Zion. That's a lot, I know. Like I said, it'll be available. We're going to give a half sheet, write it down, jot it out. But what we see when we take this big picture, when we take this macro view at the Psalms, we realize that more than just a phrase that looks nice to put on a sign and hang in our kitchen, the Psalms are teaching us 
that there is always perpetual reason to praise God. There is always a reason to look to the heavens, to look to Jesus, to look to God on his throne and say, I praise you. I mean, some of the psalms of him are written when David is fleeing for his life. Well, which time? Yeah, which time? Because David multiple times had to flee for his life. And even in the midst of that, he's still penning psalms of praise, hymns of worship. I know life's not easy. I mean, raise your hand if you have had a totally painless life. That's what I thought. I can't put my hand up, but there is always a reason to praise. There are always multiple reasons to praise. There are always endless reasons to praise. And the Psalms remind us of this. So this week, as we consider these things, we're switching it up a little bit. We're actually giving a very specific question. Let's read Psalm 9, Psalm 11, 29, 66, and 146. We're going to read those five Psalms. And then just ask yourself, which category of hymns would you put that Psalm into? You read Psalm 11. Well, is this a Zion hymn? Is this a royal hymn? Is this a history hymn? Teach yourselves. How many of you learned how to ride a bike and then never again rode a bike after that day? No. You apply what you've learned. So you remember it so that you grow in it. It takes time to build habits. So let's take these psalms of hymns. Let's take what we learned about these ideas of, of psalms of praise and worship. And let's see how we do. There's not a right or wrong. I mean, there are wrong answers. But it's not like I'm going to call you up and be like, hey, what would you put for Psalm 66? Oh, sorry, that was actually more of an enthronement hymn. Church membership revoked. No, this is about us knowing God's word better. This is about us understanding the richness of God's word. This is about, what does the psalmist say? I delight in your word. I know my wife best, and I delight in her most. We delight in what we know. So let's know God's word. Let's grow in it. Let's grow in our understanding of it and our appreciation for it. As always, with prayer, apply the Acts model. How do these psalms lead us to pray? And specifically, how does each one of those five psalms lead you to praise God in a similar manner? You read through and you get to a creator hymn. I'm reading about the psalmist praising God for his sovereignty and creation. All right, I'm going to take time and I'm going to praise God for how he created the life of my grandchildren. I'm going to praise God for how he created my garden that I love to work in. I'm looking out the window and I see birds flying by. I'm going to praise, like, okay, if you read a creator hymn, how does that psalm lead you to praise God as creator? You read an enthronement hymn, you read a history hymn, how does that psalm lead you to praise God in a similar way in your own life? Let's go after this together. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to it. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we praise you as creator. You made the physical properties and molecular structures and chemical reactions that make construction possible. So even this physical building is a reminder that you create. 
You create the sky that we look up at. You create the sun that we're grateful for. We praise you as creator. Lord, we praise you for your protection of us. All the ways that you provide for your people. The very breath in our lungs we praise you for. For the work you've done over time, Lord, we praise you. Going back to the Red Sea, going back to deliverance from Egypt, to the first nativity, to Peter walking on water, to John writing the letter of Revelation, to this church being built, to the first time ground was broke. We praise you for your history of goodness and faithfulness and mercy and justice and strength. Lord, we praise you as king. Isaiah said that in the year King Uzziah died, he saw you sitting on your throne and the train of your robe filled the temple. God, it doesn't matter what's going on in the year. It doesn't matter what gas prices are, what egg prices are. It doesn't matter what the international situation is. You are on your throne and the train of your robe fills the temple. And so we praise you as eternal king. Lord, we praise you for your sovereignty over leadership. Your word reminds us that there is no leadership apart from that which you ordain and establish. So we praise you that you are sovereign over all. And Lord, we praise you for the indwelling of your people. That you promise that your children are indwelt by the Holy Spirit that you promise us that one day we will dwell with you for eternity. Lord, we praise you for the biblical lesson and encouragement and hope of Zion. God, may our voices lift up endless praise for you are endlessly worthy and deserving of them. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.